pleased to see you all here. My name is Dion, in case I have not had a chance to meet you. Um, thanks for joining us this morning. And, and uh, the subject that we're going to be talking about was one of the lines in the worship song that we just listened to. And the line says, I believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. And this is going to be our, our message today as we continue in our series of our study of John. Um, John the disciple, who became John the apostle, who wrote this gospel, to where inside of his gospel, in the book of John, he focused so intently on who Jesus was. Um, it's in his gospel that he really highlights love and, and light and just um, very controversial statements that Jesus made um, about who he was. And so we're going to be looking into one very controversial statement today, and it's one that really is a subject that we actually all um, that we all kind of look at throughout our lives, and really, and it's something that we face. Every single one of us faces, and, and that really has to do with our eternity. Where are we going to spend our eternity after we die? Um, and personally, I believe most, if not all, people want to go to heaven. Um, we want to be in that place. And, okay, maybe not. <laughs> Could be wrong. Um, anyway, thank you for that. Outside, we're good. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I believe this, and I know I do, and I'm sure probably most all of you here do. And I think naturally, when we get a little bit older um, in our lives, we think of it more. Um, but I do know that that many people. Um, Young people, I have known people, in fact, I, I have a friend who just recently lost her daughter, who's probably in her 30s, just she died suddenly um, with no known cause. And so we honestly don't know the time that we have here on this earth. And so this is really all the more reason for us to be very secure and know where we are going to spend our eternity. And the Bible does speak of what this eternal future may look like. And uh, we see that um, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, um, and again, this is actually the Apostle John who wrote this. He was, but later in his life, he had been imprisoned on the island of Patmos for preaching the word, preaching the gospel. And he was given a vision by the Lord about what the end of days was going to look like. And so part of it, at the end, the end, end um, he talks about a reality, an eternity that we will have where it says that, so that, you know, those who believe in him and those who follow and who are there, he will wipe away um, every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow, no crying, no pain. All of these things will pass away. And I think that is a, an eternity that all of us would love to have. When we think about the fact that, you know, we might be able to be with our loved ones in peace, where there is no pain, there's no more disease, there's no more cancer, there's no more sin, there's no more and better yet, no more politics. <laughs> no gas prices. Woohoo! We're going to be flying through on cloud power. So, I mean, there's all this wonderful stuff to be looking forward to. But as we think about that, really the logical and natural question for all of us is how do we get there? And how do we know the right path? Because the world offers numerous ways to get to heaven. So we need to be sure to get this right. Um, knowing this kind of makes me think of some years ago. Uh, well, some many years ago. This is way back in the old days when we had paper maps. 
you know, the directions that actually came on, not Google Maps, but in an actual map book. <laughs> For our young people, they had those before GPS and that apps, which are great. We use those now. But back in the day, we didn't have that. And so when my family and I were first moved to the area, um, we, my mom and I were going to go drive to go see my aunt, who lived in Santa Maria. And so we weren't real familiar with this area. We come from the Los Angeles area, so we knew very well how to get to Santa Maria from the LA area. It's north, so we head north. And so when we decided that we were going to go, and we were going from Atlanta, we had not been from that direction before. And there was no GPS, and she and I didn't look at maps, so that was our fault. She asked a friend from work, who told her, go to Bakersfield, get to Bakersfield, and head to 99 North, and you'll run into it. All right, so that's what we did. We just kept going north. <laughs> so we got Fresno, <laughs> which is nowhere near Santa Maria, just in case we didn't know. Um, and so we just, we did what we naturally do. We asked somebody we trusted. We, you know, it wasn't that they were directing us incorrectly. We just didn't do our homework. And so, um, yeah, five, five hour total trip ended up in Fresno. And so really, it's kind of the same way when we look at our, our, our eternity and how we know for sure we're going to get to heaven. Um, because I can guarantee you, you want to get this right, nobody wants to spend their eternity in Fresno. That's not going to happen. I, I don't know if you're from Fresno, good for you. I haven't been there since then. It's been like 30 plus years, I'm sure it's great. Um, but the thing is, is that how can we know the way? Especially when the world does offer all these different paths. We've probably heard and learned so many things over our lifetimes that we have to really ask ourselves, can all of these different things be right? Or, or are they all wrong? And so that's what we're going to explore today as we continue in our I Am series. And, and in fact, Jesus, we find that in this, before Jesus um, is crucified, he's He's talking to his disciples. He's been walking with them for three years now. He's been teaching them. He's been training them. They have watched him heal the sick and cast out demons and perform all of these miracles. And so now, you know, he's got this intimate relationship with these 12 men. And so he's getting ready. He knows he's going to be crucified. They didn't quite understand what was happening, but he's preparing them. He's telling them what's going to happen. And so he tells them, as he gets ready to leave, he says, I'm going to go to my father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you this. He says, but I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so then I'm going to come back and I'm going to come get you and take you to myself so that you can be with me. And he says, if you know the way to where I am going. And now we notice that Thomas, and this is the same doubting Thomas who didn't believe that Jesus had been risen from the dead because wasn't in the room with the other disciples when Jesus presented himself physically. And so Thomas, he says to him, he's like, we don't know where you're going. How in the world are we supposed to know the way? And so this is where we're going to answer the question today is how can we know the way? And this is what we've been looking at for the last seven weeks as we've been going over the Gospel of John, like I said in our I Am series, where where. John records Jesus making some of the most powerful and controversial statements that he made during his ministry. Um, over the last seven weeks, we've covered a lot of areas. Um, last week, we built in a message where Jesus says, I am the door. 
And before that, he just talked about being a good shepherd and being a shepherd of the flock. And today, we're going to be talking about I am the only way. When Jesus makes this statement, um, I am the only way, which is probably the most controversial statement. Um, because it has such an incredible exclusivity to it. And so many people really just take offense to this if we look at all the things that are out there. And so when, when we're looking at this, this comes from the verse, and this was from the, from the worship song we just listened to, that Jesus answers Thomas's question, and he answers our question. When we want to know, how do I get to heaven? How do I know I'm going to get there? Jesus says, I am the way. And I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And I think that last part is really the sticking point for most people, because a lot of people are okay with Jesus being one of the ways, but a lot of times we're certainly not okay with the fact that no one can go to the Father except through him. And that's what we're going to explore today, because Jesus is very clearly saying he is the only way to heaven. He is not a way. He is not one of many ways. He is, and he's also saying that he is the only truth. He's not relative truth. He's not a partial truth. He's not one of many truths. And he is the only life. So he's not here to provide the secrets of happiness and, and the secrets to life, but a real abundant life that can only come from knowing him. And this is the kind of life where we can have that abundance, even in the midst of crisis and chaos. And the thing of it is, is that this path, this path to him, this path to heaven, is an incredibly narrow path. It is so difficult for some people to accept this that very few find it. And many enter by that narrow gate, but they but and I repeat, tell us you enter by the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is easy. Um, but the path that leads to destruction. And narrow way is incredibly hard that leads to life. There are very few who actually find this. And so this is what this is what people take issue with this. We don't like the statement. We don't we don't like feeling like it's going it's basically excluding everybody else. But the thing is, is that as people and, and you know what, maybe some of us have even wrestled with this in our life. You know, maybe in our process, we, we've had to face the, you know, the reality of answering this question. And there's probably people that we know and love who are also wrestling with this as well. But as he says, as he says this, we take issue because it's like saying it's so exclusive that it's keeping everyone out of heaven who doesn't believe in Jesus. And in a sense, we can almost say this is true. The Bible does tell us that there is salvation and no one else, so that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the challenge in this is that the, the path to the cross is considered foolishness to many, many people. They just completely reject it. But as we look in the exclusivity of this, here's the beautiful thing. It is exclusively inclusive. Jesus does not hold aside salvation for a certain group of people. This Christianity, his, his path is offered to absolutely everyone on the face of the planet, past, present, future, no matter where you live, no matter your color, no matter your belief system at the time. His invitation is for all people. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is keeping people out, but that we keep ourselves out when we choose to follow other paths or create our own path, our own desire to get to heaven. And, and honestly, it's my hope that as we take a look at this today, 
because it, it is true that we do love and know people who are amazing people. They are kind and generous and wonderful people who are doing really neat things, but they do believe differently. And so we have to ask, what about them? What's going to happen to them? And so we're going to take a look at just kind of a few of the passages just to help us understand that when we hear a very common quote that says there are many paths that lead to God, or many paths that lead to heaven, um, that if we've ever heard that and thought that there may be some truth to that, we're going to kind of uncover some of the facts about the different paths that might show us exactly the opposite. We don't have a whole lot of time to go through everything, but I absolutely encourage people to do their own research. We're just going to do a very quick brush over some of the major world religions just to see some of the differences between them and Christianity. Um, but what I will say is that do the research on your own. We've got some information back in the Connections Counter, but we also have a book back in um, the library called So What's the Difference by Fritz Ridenauer. It's a great book, very easy to read, that compares the major world religions to Christianity and how they do differ. And so let me just start by saying what is inclusive of Christianity. What is inclusive is the fact that Christianity is the only faith that deals with sin, the sin nature of man and the need for a savior. So many don't don't want to um, to they don't believe in that. But it is only Christianity that tells us that we have to be saved, and that it only comes by God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that there is nothing that we can do to earn or work our way into heaven. In Ephesians. We are told that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not our doing, it is a free gift of God. And that, and that this gift comes from above. And this is the other difference in Christianity, that it is only in Christianity that we have a Savior who willingly gave up his own life. He died and was rose again um, to cover the sins of humanity from that place of love. Because God so loved the world. He so loved you, he so loved me, he so loved our neighbor, he so loved every person that drives up and down China Lake, he loves all the people at Walmart, and Stinger Brothers, and Fresno. <laughs> he loves us all, past, present, but it is only in Christianity that we have a Savior who willingly gives it, who actually, in the very fact, too, Conquered death and was risen again because every other religion with a major prophet who came out or a major leader, they died physically and they, their bodies are still in their graves to this day. And so every other religion also, including many Christian denominations and cults, offers a works-based program and rejects the idea of sin and the need for repentance. So we're just going to quickly take a look at a few of them. Um, we're going to start with one that is really kind of growing in popularity. It has been for a while, but it's called Baha'i faith. Um, like many religions, Baha'i does, does not teach that man was born with a sin nature or the need to be saved from evil. We just simply need to be saved from our erroneous beliefs of how the world works and how to interact with the world. Um, so that's just kind of one of the basic differences there. Um, if we were to look at Buddhism, the understanding there is they don't believe in one single God, but there are many gods. And so for them, salvation is a matter of reaching nirvana or a transcendent, transcendental state or enlightenment or a blissful state that requires following something called the Eightfold Path. 
And so what you have to do in the ancient past in Buddhism is you have to have the right view, you have to have the right intent, the right speech, the right behavior, the right livelihood, the right effort, and the right awareness, and the right kind of meditation. And so these things you have to accomplish, and in order to do that, it also means that you need to believe in the four noble truths. And so there's this entire workspace set of rules, things that needs to go on there in order to be able to reach nirvana. Now, if we were to take a look at Hinduism, for Hindus, salvation is reached when the worshiper is free from the cycle of reincarnation. And so there's an understanding there that we go through our entire lives trying to rid ourselves of that trauma in hopes of coming back again to be able to have a better life or if we mess up and do it wrong, we come back and get a do-over, but I don't know, it's a little lifelong. Um, you know, so there's an incredible difference there. It's, it's trying to work ourselves off, you know, work off the bad karma. And so then, as we look at the nation of Islam, with our Muslims, they believe that salvation comes to those who obey Allah sufficiently. And they do believe Allah and our God are the same. Um, but it's very, very understandably not the same when it comes to it. But they are workspace. They're hoping that the good deeds will hopefully outweigh our bad deeds. And they again have a system of works, which theirs is called the five pillars, where they have to pray five times a day facing Mecca. Um, they must fast. They must go on at least one pilgrimage to Mecca during their lifetime. They must recite the Amshahabah, which is their faith statement. And they have to help the poor. Um, so all of these things must be done in order to hopefully reach um, achieve salvation. And then, of course, they also believe that Muhammad was the last prophet sent by God, and they did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, inside of the Christian faith, the Holy's Witnesses and Mormons are categorized actually as Christian cults, um, and they teach that there are multiple levels of heaven. The Holy's Witnesses deny the person of the Trinity. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, with Mormons, they believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. But both of them are incredibly works-based programs to the exclusivity of if you are not Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, you're out, which means all of us would be like, in Fresno. So, <laughs> so, but the point is, is that, you know, again, we don't have time to go over everything, but even in just these minor statements, we notice one unbelievable common thing, which is none of them are the same. Um, even in these, it becomes very clear very early on um, that they cannot all be right, yet they all claim to be right. And so to me, and I'm not a very smart person, but my little tiny key brain, that's really not even logical. Um, and in fact, if the statement were true, then we're looking at a God who is constantly changing the rules making the path different for everyone, um, different people with absolutely no guarantee at the end if we ever even got it right. We have no way of knowing that that's the case. Or if people are just simply making things up on their own. But either way, when we really look at this, this is one of those things where we really, really, really want to rest our eternal future on the possibility of hoping to be right. So when it comes to Jesus' statement of him being of him being the only way, um, you know, it's there's actually hope in that statement. Um, there's hope in the statement because it never changes. It's been the same from the beginning and it's the same now. 
It's inclusive of all people. He didn't come to give a list of rules or things that we have to do in order to hopefully get to heaven. There's this one way, and this is the sure way, and as we go through, we will find out that there's an absolute guarantee in it. So as we, as we take a look at this very powerful statement that he is making, it's our desire to go to heaven, and there's a few things that we must kind of face, and they may not be the easiest things to deal with, but it is at least true of all of us. And the first thing is just knowing that according to what we see in the book of Romans, every single person born is born with a sin nature. And so that we have all sin. I have sin, you sin, everybody sins, and we are all in need of a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. And the thing with sin is that sin separates us from a holy God. So we cannot come near to God without sin being paid for, and it must be paid for. So it will either be paid for by our own death, or it's paid for because we believe in the death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and His blood that covers our sin. Romans again tells us that the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There's no works attached to this. It is the free gift. And so, an interesting fact, this is a fun fact, and I, and I, I agree that I'm going to say thank you up front for allowing me the, the opportunity to share my geekiness with you. Um, this was just, honestly, this is a total God moment for me. Um, this last Tuesday and Wednesday, so from sundown to Tuesday to sundown to Wednesday, um, the um, well, practicing Jews, Orthodox Jewish people, um, celebrated their most holy day on the calendar, which is Yom Kippur. It is the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement is a day that God ordained way back in the very beginning um, to be set aside as a day where the nation of Israel would repent and mourn over their sin. Um, but at the time, now this is all actually the whole process is laid out in Levit- Leviticus chapter 16, but God would require them to do this. And so the high priest who was chosen for the year, there was one man who was chosen to be the high priest who represented the people. And during that time, he would go into the tabernacle of the people that he had had the people build after he brought them out of um, Egypt um, and out from under the oppression of Pharaoh. Uh, they built a tabernacle where they could go worship God. And inside the tabernacle was a smaller portion called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God dwelt. And so once a year, this high priest would be able to go in and offer sacrifices for himself and for the people of Israel to atone for their sin. And this is a very big deal. I mean, this is such a big deal. There was all kinds of things around it. But even the priest himself had to be ritually cleansed before he could come near the presence of God. And so we see that in Leviticus 23, it says that there's a specific time God set up that they were supposed to go. And so, um, on the tenth day of the seventh month, so on the Jewish calendar, that's now. Um, on the Jewish calendar, we are in the seventh month, so on that day was actually, for us, October um, 4th and 5th or 5th or 5th or 5th or 5th or 5th, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and so, it says, it shall be a time for you of holy convocation, so afflict yourselves. Um, in your soul and present a food offering and not do any work on that day. It was meant to be a day focused completely on the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Today, because there is no temple in Jerusalem, there's nowhere for 
um, Jewish people who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, there's nowhere for them to go do this. So they, they continue to observe it. Um, for those who practice it, they continue to observe it, but they do it on an individual basis. So they will still spend the day in prayer. Um, they will still fast. They also do things like, and they, they refrain from any kind of physical pleasures in life. So they, they don't put on, like, lotions and creams. They don't wear certain clothes. They don't have their own little meat things. Um, <laughs> they don't, they literally, this is something that they do not do. Um, and so this is how they continue observing this command of the Lord in order to atone for their sins. Except, Jesus completely fulfilled the requirements of both high priest and the atonement. He himself became the high priest to which um, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 tells us that we have a great high priest who passed into heaven, to Jesus, the Son of God, and that we have a high priest, not only is he a high priest, but he understands everything that we go through. Jesus came as fully God and fully man, and so he knows our troubles. He knows our temptations. He knows where we hurt. He knows all the things that we go through as a human being. And as this high priest, he himself offered his body as the final atoning sacrifice for the sins of all of humanity, not just Israel, but for everybody. And so now what we're looking at is we've got Jewish people who are still celebrating Yom Kippur. They're still observing Yom Kippur. They're still going through this because they don't understand that Jesus or they, they don't believe yet that Jesus is the final atoning sacrifice. And so in that, there's a huge caution. And that the, the writer of Hebrews um, also lets us know that after coming to understand that Jesus is the final sacrifice and that he did die for our sins, um, that if we were to continue to reject Christ, if we were to go back to our old ways, if we were trying to, to go back into a works-based system as a means of earning salvation while thinking that Jesus is our Savior, um, there's a caution in this. In, in Hebrews it says, if we go on sinning deliberately, and, and it's not, we do still sin, even after we become Christian, because we're human. We don't want to. We try not to. But we do still make mistakes. This sinning deliberately is really the person who's looking at it like, I know this is wrong, and, but I'm going to do it anyway. That kind of attitude is what we're talking about. So for that person, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Because there's no animal sacrifice that's going to cut it. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice. So we're trampling on the blood of Christ if we continue to think that I can be saved and go out and do what I want to do. Not only that, but we have to understand that our faith, our belief in Christ, has to go past mere acknowledgement and understanding that as a Christian, it must go beyond identifying as a Christian simply because maybe we were baptized as a child, or we go to church on Sunday, or our family goes to church on Christmas or Easter, or we know some Bible stories. Because here's the frightening truth. James tells us in his letter that the demons believe in God. The demons believe in Jesus. They believe in him. They just don't follow him. They don't love him. They don't serve him. So there's some incredible caution there. And so um, this is a big deal when we talk about sin and Jesus being the only way and his being the sacrifice. And to me, it just kind of blew my mind that here we get to talk about this particular message this weekend. 
and Yom Kippur was just a couple of days ago. So that was my detroit moment, so thank you for that one. Now, <laughs> last week I mentioned, or I mentioned that last week, um, uh, we learned that Jesus is the door. So salvation is what happens once we walk through the door. When Jesus leads us to this door, um, I chose this particular graphic simply because we're talking today about how the path to heaven and the world offering us so many paths. So when we're looking into this, we're going to see several different doors. But there's one. There's one that is noticeably different. There is one that is the only door that is the path to heaven. I happen to like this one because it's red, and to me that was kind of representing the blood of Christ. And so Jesus says that he is the door of the sheep. And so Bill used this door prop, and I got to use it again. Yay! <laughs> I love it. And so as we look at this, it says that Jesus brings us, you know, there are things that bring us to the door. Um, Jesus is the door of the sheep, and he, he stands at the door, and he knocks on the door of our heart. Here's the thing. Um, there's so much in this world that brings us to Him, that draws us to Him. I think that's the beauty of it, is that we are drawn. In fact, Jesus tells us Himself that He draws us, that He draws us. And John 6 says, if no one comes to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws Him. And so as we think about this, there's so many ways this can happen. I would venture to guess that there may be some folks here today, or maybe some folks on our online family, that maybe are still exploring, or are still learning. They haven't really yet made the decision to fully commit to Christ, but you're being drawn. And there's something going on in your life that God is using to draw you to Him. You know, there's so many ways this can happen. One of the most powerful ways is that we get drawn through painful circumstances, whether it's a pain as a result of a sinful habit that we have, um, and we're looking for freedom from that sin. Um, it could also be uh, pain from um, physical problems, you know, medical physical problems. We've got something going on inside of our body physically that is, that is bringing us pain that draws us to Him. He also pulls us to him when we're stunned with emotional pain. You know, so wrestling with severe depression or anxiety or just some of the things that we that we deal with in life. Or even relational pain. You know, maybe our marriage is hurting or our children are making decisions that are hurting them and other people. And this is one of the ways that as we look for healing, as we look for hope, as we look for peace, we might reach out to God because God is drawing us to him through that. And so beyond that, there's also he can draw us to him through miracles. Maybe we've seen the miracle of somebody who was freed from um, the pain of addiction when they turned to Christ. Um, maybe somebody who is suffering with cancer goes in to have a procedure and the doctor finds that the tumor is behind it. There are true things like that that happen. Just miracles of changed lives. Some of us are drawn by doing the research. Trying to figure all of this stuff out. We need a little more information. We need some evidence. We need to look into this a little more deeply. So we just simply do the research. And in fact, the incredible thing is that there are many, many famous atheists and agnostics who have come to Christ in the process of trying to prove Christianity wrong. Um, some of the most famous ones that we've mentioned before are Luke Strobel, C.S. Lewis, Simon Greenleaf. Um, we do have a list on our website. Um, it's called Evidence Resources. It's under um, the 
church tab is on our website and app, and there's like three pages of evidence for Jesus and prophecies fulfilled and, and atheists who become Christian. So I always encourage people to go do the research. It is so much fun and it's so powerful. But there's also the fact that sometimes God draws us because somebody has just simply sat down and took the time to tell us about who Jesus is and the hope that he offers us. And I know for myself, and I know a lot of you can probably identify with this somewhere, but God drew me through pain, um, through physical medical pain. And I, I you know I shared this with you guys, and I think it's really great. Um, like having gone through a, a serious medical issue, plus I had a child with disabilities, so that was another. Um, but had gone through a serious medical issue, the situation where just leading into that, I thought I was a Christian. I thought I knew Jesus. Um, but when I was faced with the fear of dying, because that's how bad my medical situation had gone, I really felt like I might not live through this, um, I instantly knew I blew it somewhere because there were no happy feelings. It was like, if I died, I will go to Jesus. It was that fear, that dread of, if I died, I don't think I will go to heaven. But I had asked Jesus to be my Savior and delivered my heart so many times. So I really couldn't quite figure out where was the disconnect, what was happening there. I mean, I struggled with habitual sin that I just could not seem to overcome. Um, I, I didn't understand the pull of temptation and why all of these things were still happening. And, and I didn't understand why this seemed to be a failure as a Christian. And so what happened was during that darkest, most painful moment in my life, God showed me was because I didn't understand grace. I was trying to work my way to heaven, and I was trying to do it on my own and fix myself, and I couldn't do it, neither can any of you. And so we've got this, this push, pull, and so I think kind of for me, what happened was I had, I had walked over to the door, and I think I even opened the door. I opened the door, but I think what I had done, not, not purposely, I mean, it wasn't like a conscious decision, but... But I think what I did then, out of lack of knowledge and just all kinds of other things, is that I did this. I was traveling. had one foot over here and one foot over here. And believe me, when I tell you, and I think probably there's a lot of us who understand this because we do this. It may not be purposeful, but if we want to follow Jesus and cannot seem to figure out why things aren't going the way we think they should, that might be the reason. We cannot serve two masters. We will love the one and we will hate the other. And the problem is, is that when those two worlds collide and we've got one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world, it's a struggle. And it's not one that we will win unless we submit ourselves to Christ. And that's what happened with me. I realized I messed up. And God got my attention after that and said, okay, I get it. I get it. And it, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't easy. But man, it was a game changer because I, I, I realized I truly wanted to know the God, know God, and know the way to Him. I just wasn't entirely sure how. And I know a lot of us feel that way, but that's okay because God shows us. God will show us. In fact, what happens when we get to the door, um, when, when Jesus, when God is drawing us to Him and we're looking at Jesus being the only way, you know, again, last week when Bill was talking about the door, he had mentioned that sometimes when we walk through the door, it doesn't really seem to be much of a discernible difference. And, and that really is basically on the outside. Physically speaking, we still look the same. But on the inside, I'm going to go where I'm On the inside, we are a completely 
body is in Christ. He is a new creation. So when we walk through that door, it is like, boom, we are a new creation. The old is gone. Our past is gone. Our sins are gone. They are paid for. Do we remember them? Yes. Does that sting? Yes. Because it hurts. We don't want to remember it, but God came up with that and he uses that. So the old is gone and the new has come. And he gives us this new heart. And he gives us a new spirit. And he gives us a new nature. So, and he gives us everything that we need to be able to walk in his statutes and to follow him. And so now, we are equipped with absolutely everything we need to live this abundant life that Jesus promised. And, and it's called fruit. Um, it's called fruit. It's basically characteristics of God. Because when we walk through that door, he gives us his Holy Spirit to come dwell inside of us. And now we've got the capacity to follow him. We have the capacity to have things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And we know that it's, it's, we know it's from God because this kind of love helps us love people who, quite honestly, we probably know some. And He gives us the capacity to be patient with our children. To be patient with ourselves. To be patient. When it's just hard to be patient, he gives us the ability to practice self-control when temptation comes knocking on our door. And so now we have everything that we need to live this new life. Our flesh, the old ways, the old ways that we would do things is crucified. It is nailed to the cross, and this is an ongoing process as we walk in the Spirit with God. And so when he gives us his Holy Spirit, it is our guarantee. And so now before... Well, we had no guarantee that any of the other cows were actually going to get us to heaven. We have the guarantee who is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells his disciples he was going to send the Holy Spirit to them after he left. And he would be there to teach them and to remind them of everything that he had taught them. And so now we have a guarantee. I love you. I like it. I like having guarantees. And so now, we've got to mean that when it comes to the only way, that Jesus is the only way, it's kind of a twofold thing. He also shows us the way. See, walking through the door doesn't stop there. We don't stop just at the other side of the door, because now the reality is, is that we are functioning in the world as an ambassador of Christ. And so how we live our life, how we interact with the world, the decisions that we make, the way we speak with others, it's a result of salvation. So now the works, the fruit, what's coming out is the result of salvation and not the means to salvation. And in fact, that's actually the definition, really, when we think about the way, is that the expression in the Bible really referred to a person's way of living, the moral and spiritual viewpoint, and it was used at the time to describe Christianity, to describe Christians. And the word, the way, actually, in the Greek, kodos, really just means a traveled way, a road. You know, so when we think about it, Jesus showed us the road. He showed us the way of life, which is really what we're talking about. And he gives us this incredible example. Um, probably one of the most humbling examples that I can possibly think of, because we think of Jesus and we think of the miracles, and we think of the power of God that he had in him. But one of the things that he did that was probably the most powerful when it comes to the way. Show us the way of humility. And to show us the way of love. And to show us the way of sacrifice. And he did that um, before, again, before he's crucified. 
um, it's the Passover time, and so he's celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And so they're in the upper room, and they're, they're celebrating the Passover, and it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, he was going back to God, he rose from supper, he, he took off his outer garments, he took a towel and wrapped it around himself, and he did the job of a servant that was probably the lowest job available, one of the lowest jobs available. He took the time to wash the disciples' feet. Because in the culture of the day, they reclined, literally, kind of on their sides with their feet out, you know, could you imagine eating your mac and cheese with someone's feet in your face? Um, you want to make sure they're clean. And so that was part of the, the culture of the day. And so Jesus took the time to serve his disciples as an example of how he wanted them to interact with the world and how to serve, not only take care of each other, but to continue on. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, that if I then, your teacher and Lord, have done this to you, to you also should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example. This is truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And so here we have God in the flesh taking on the role of a servant, washing his disciples' feet to give them and us an example of what it means to be part of the way. And here's, and this is what happens, it requires absolute selfless living. I don't know if you have ever washed another person's feet for any reason. It is an incredibly humbling experience. Um, my baby girl, Katie, she, I know most of you guys know Caitlin. Um, she's, our, <laughs> she's our resident cheerleader um, with her headbands all the time and the bling all over the place. She is disabled. She's actually 41 years old, which amazes me because she's just. She is, God has taught so much through her. But Katie, you wouldn't know it, but if you were to look at her feet, if you were to take her shoes off and look at her feet, you might be unbelievably surprised that she can even walk. Her feet are so messed up. Um, and it's part of her disability. So at this stage of the game, she's got giant knuckles because of arthritis, and the actual bones of her feet are just every which way. And because of her disability, it causes tremendous calluses and, and it causes pain in her feet. And so, of course, if she can't put her little toenails, so I have to do that for her too, because her toenails are like crazy different as well. Um, and I say that with the intent of understanding that God designed her feet, so my books are perfect. Um, but the fact is, is that every once in a while, I mean, frequently, I have to remove the calluses, I have to clip her toenails, and I have to. You know, file her, her little toenails and put lotion on her feet. And of course, she's just like, yes, you know, walked out thinking mommy's giving her a spa day. Um, but what God is showing me is like, it is to me one of those moments where it's like, this is a God moment. You know, she depends on me to do this. And so for me, it is an act of love and service to her and to the Lord because she can't do it herself. You know, and that's kind of one of those moments where, like, is, is it my favorite thing to do? Not always. But you know what? God always touches my heart when I do that for her because she can't not do it for herself. And it is done out of love and service for the Lord. 
you know, and so it's, it's but the attitude behind it, you know, we're not, obviously, Jesus is not asking us, you know, to go to the store and knock people down and rip their shoes off so we can wash their feet. It's an attitude. It's a motive. It's a heart thing. It's the ability to say, are we willing to humble ourselves to the point of doing the absolutely most menial task? Because it does say that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, which means we get to have the mindset of washing feet. Um, our life is not our life anymore. It's for Him and it's His. And we get to show the world this is the fruit that comes through. And He says, this is how people in the world are going to know we are His followers. When we love each other to be able to do that. When we love other people to be able to do that. And when we can, that's when something else incredible happens, is we become known as the way. Now, interestingly enough, this was something that happened to the, the Christians in the first church in the book of Acts in the Bible. After Jesus had um, gone back to the Father, and his disciples and the new church was, you know, a firestorm through the culture. And so much so that Saul, who was the Apostle Paul after he became converted, but before he was converted to Christianity, his job as a top religious leader was to go find and imprison Christians, which were called the way. So their life, their way of living, how they interacted in their world was so significantly different. They were identifiable by it, and they were called the way. And that's the way it should be for us, too. This should be the defining factor for followers of Jesus in our lives now with Him. But honestly, this is really only going to happen one way, and it's by doing something called abiding. We have to abide in Him. We have to stay connected to Him. Um, Jesus says that we are to abide in Him and He in us in the same way that branches. When we look at branches on a tree, a branch cannot bear fruit unless it is connected to the vine, unless it's connected to the trunk, because that's where it gets its nutrients. There's just no possible way that that's going to happen. When we stay connected to Him, we will bear much fruit. I mean, and this is easy to understand. I just clipped a bunch of um, branches off of my tree in the backyard, and I left them, well, I stacked them up and left them for the There's just no room in the trunk can. But I left them. Inside of a day, those branches were withered and crispy and dry. And believe me when I tell you as Christians, if we disconnect from Jesus, in a day, we will be crispy and withered and dry. I mean, it is just a reality for us that that's how staying connected to Him is the only way we will be able to produce that kind of fruit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. Now, again, if you'll indulge me for just a second, the word I'm going to use is not something that's frequently used inside of churches, and it's the word assimilation. Now, if you, like me, are a Star Trek Next Gen nerd, um, you know, Captain Picard, okay, so, <laughs> um, during the Star Trek series in The Next Generation, there was a race of people called the Borg. I don't know if you remember them, if you ever watched it, but their whole point was to capture other people and to assimilate them into their collective conscience. I know this is kind of weird, but stay with me for a second. The idea of it, scientifically speaking, there is, real, there is a reality to this and how this is going to look. It is the incorporation or conversion of nutrients into, look at that lovely science word, protoplasm. Um, animals, okay, blah, 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 science words. 
Okay, what it means is it's a conversion of nutrients from soil that is taken up by the roots, distributed to plants, or converted into energy for animals when they eat at the cellular level. So really when it comes to the word assimilation, this describes perfectly how we should be with Jesus Christ when it comes to abiding in him. And the fact that Jesus uses the example of fruit and the vine and the root, the two really do go together. The only difference, of course, is his collective conscience, before we start sounding a little pulpit, is Christ conscious. We are part of Christ conscious. And yes, when Jesus gets a hold of us, resistance is real. Thank you very much. <laughs> but here's the reality there. We have to live like Jesus. We assimilate to him to live in like him at the cellular level. When we abide in him, we... we this says that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And again, it goes to the practice of sinning, the deliberate, you know, going into sin with our eyes open. It's the desire to not want to sin. And that when we love God and we are abiding in him, we keep his commandments. Um, his commandments are not burdensome. It's a joy to obey the Lord and to see how that works out. And so when we're talking about that, it's living like Jesus is at the cellular level, taking him into the word and loving and faithful obedience to the Lord. Um, and what results in that is something called a harvest. The, the fruit must show a, a, a harvest. And, and so our, our last fun fact for the day, um, we talked about the fact that a few days ago was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On the Jewish calendar, five days after the Day of Atonement, they start celebrating what is called Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it starts at sundown tonight. So the seven-day period that happens afterward where they now celebrate um, God's provision. It's the fall harvest. And so what they do is they, they spend time celebrating God's continuing provision and the fact that God provided for them while he led them through the wilderness after he brought them out of Egypt. And so on the Jewish calendar for us today, for the, those who are observing Jewish people, they will be practicing um, Sukkot starting tonight. And so, to me, it was just kind of another one of those really neat things. And here we are talking about Jesus being the only way. And the fact that when we look at that as Christ followers, our harvest and what we celebrate, how God provides, comes through love and sacrifice and humility and serving one another, our foot walking, um, so to speak. Also, interestingly enough, um, for those who are into the prophecy, um, and we won't go into this because we've actually got um, Jesus' return is going to be one of our messages coming up in a few weeks. Jesus is actually, scholars teach that Jesus has fulfilled all of the, the Jewish feasts, the required Jewish feasts, with the exception of these ones, the fall feasts. And so um, it looks at Sukkot as the yet-to-be-fulfilled second coming from between uh, Yom Kippur and and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, that that is behind. They believe that's the time frame that Jesus might return. So, um, anyways, like I said, we've got some articles at the back that Miss Lori can help you pick up that kind of give a little bit more information about that. Um, but how cool is that? Salvation, atonement, Yom Kippur, and the result being the harvest. The harvest of what God brings out of our lives and the Feast of Tabernacles that starts the celebration tonight. And so as we finish our time together today, um, and our application really is very easy, um, 
we, we get to examine where we are. Um, there's a lot of us that probably all, you know, in different areas. If we're not certain that we're going to heaven or we've been doing some something and we need a little bit more information or help, we would love to talk with you guys. That's why we're here. Um, there's a multitude of resources to come and help in the process. We have a brochure at the back as well called Am I Heaven Ready? And it goes through all of this that we talked about and some other details. And, and you know, for those who are here today who got confirmation that, yes, I've chosen Jesus as the only way, and I know my eternal future is guaranteed. Um, when it comes to the brochure, Am I Heaven Ready? We encourage people to keep it with them. Um, as a tool to help you know how to talk to others about Jesus and how to help guide you through that conversation. And there's books in the library and all of this at your disposal to kind of help in this. And as we look at this, if we have made the decision, if we have said that, yes, I want to be a Christian, we get to look at what is the fruit in our life. Are we showing a harvest? And we say thank you for that, because, man, Jesus invites us all. Holy Father, um, thank you so much for showing us the way. Lord, I pray that if there is, if we or anybody here has struggled with the understanding of all paths versus one path, um, and we just really struggled with that, Lord, that you would continue to help us understand the truth um, of the fact that you are the only way. And that it is absolutely inclusive of all people because you love us so much. You want you want all of us to come to you, Lord. And so we thank you for that love. We thank you for what you give us and that you help guide us through our 